Welcome everyone to Celtic Preacher Podcast 51. And today we're going to be looking at the subject of power. How do we use our power and our influence? Have we learned how to harness our power and our influence and use it for good in the world? Or do we find ourselves held back by someone else's misuse of power? Yeah, quite a common thing, right? Anyone who has ever worked for a bully knows how people can misuse the power that they have. Anyone who's lived with a bully or been parented by a bully knows firsthand about the misuse of power. So what we're going to see in this unusual uh, story, narrative uh, today, is Jesus demonstrating the correct way to wield our own power as well as, as how to confront those who misuse power. Now, it's, a, it's an unusual passage. We're looking at Luke uh, chapter 8. Now, let me tell you, right at the beginning here, we're going to be talking about, this is a story about demons, and it's, the setting is in a graveyard. It's not the kind of Bible passage that you'd want to read before you go to bed, let me just say that. But I want to just give you this narrative, first of all, and then we'll break it down a little bit, because it's, at first reading, I'll just give you a heads up and a warning, it looks like this is something that you would just close the pay, close the book and you say, that makes no sense to me. But just hold on because you'll see as we go on in this and as we unpack it that it's highly, highly relevant for today because this is all about a confrontation of power. It's all about powers confronting one another, powers for good, powers for evil. So the story is, very briefly, is that Jesus and his disciples decide to go to this new place called Gerasenes. And it's non-Jewish territory, which doesn't really mean a whole lot to us. But in those days, a good Jewish rabbi, that would be Jesus, he's a Jewish rabbi, would keep to Jewish geographical locations. They tended to not go into uh, locations that did not have Jewish people in them. They saw that the, the understanding was in those days that that was, was non-Jewish territory, it was unclean, There's nothing, we have nothing to do with these people, they're Gentiles, they're non-Jewish, we just keep to ourselves. So right at the beginning of the story, we, we hear about Jesus and his disciples going into this new land, this new area, this new region called Gerasenes. When they arrive... The text tells us, locate that a demon-possessed man meets him. He's naked, he's out of his mind, he lives in a graveyard, he's wandering around the tombs. When the man encounters Jesus, Jesus casts out the demons from this madman who's wandering around naked in the graveyard. Verse 28. The demons then speak to Jesus. What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me. 
This was the demon's response to Jesus ordering the demons to leave the man. Verse 30, and then Jesus asks the man, the demon-possessed man, what is your name? What is your name? And this man who's long since lost himself, he can no longer speak for himself because he's been overpowered. Jesus says, what's your name? And rather than the man reply, the demons reply and they say, their reply is, my name is Legion, and the, uh, which means uh, many, right? A legion was uh, a troop of, uh, a Roman military troop of about 6,500. And then, it gets stranger, and then the demons beg that they're not sent into the, the abyss. And so Jesus gives the demons permission to enter a herd of pigs nearby, the demons enter, the pigs rush off a steep embankment and are drowned. And then at the end of the account, the once demon-possessed man sits with a sound mind, quietly, at the feet of Jesus. And the town people are seized with fear, and they all ask Jesus if he could please leave. So that's how the story ends. That's how the narrative ends. Yeah, it's a different one. It's an unusual one here. But let's just see what we can uh, do with this because there's a couple of things here I want to mention. There's a lot of symbols in this story that because we're reading it 2,000 years later, we will miss many of the symbols in this story that wouldn't have been missed by the first readers or the first hearers. The place, for example, Gerasenes, this non-Jewish territory. I mentioned before, a good Jewish rabbi would normally not go out into unclean territory. So that's a clue. I mean, it's almost like in these kind of passages, you're like a detective trying to figure out what, what, this, what the story's teaching us. So there's your first clue. Why would a good, why would a, a, a good Jewish rabbi deliberately set foot in this unclean land. I mean, what is that telling us? Another symbol in the story is pigs, of course, and you, you might already know this. Pigs were unkosher animals. People 2,000 years ago in Jesus' day did not eat pigs. They didn't eat pork. It was seen as unclean. Cemeteries, again, the abode of spirits, a place to be avoided. There's another symbol there. The name of the demons, legion. There's another clue. That's, that's a, as I said, it's a troop of about 5,600 Roman army soldiers. There's another clue to the story. Then you have the pigs ending up in the sea. Now, that, again, that doesn't make much, it doesn't make sense to us, but the sea, in Jesus' day, the sea was seen as a place of chaos, a place of danger. That's why it says, by the way, in the book of Revelation, the sea will be no more, right? To our 2000, you know, to our 21st century years, we say, well, why would that be? I love the sea. I, that's my most favorite place in the world. Well, because it's a symbol for, you know, there's not going to be any more chaos. Ultimately, God will bring that about. 
So once you see all these symbols there and you do a little bit detective work, and the most, the most basic understanding of the narrative is that Jesus has gone into new territory, he's branching out. In other words, there's no clean land and unclean land. I mean, no, there's no territory that's off limits. There are no people that are off limits. People are people, territories, territory. Countries are countries, right? Wherever he goes, he confronts evil head on. Evil as in anything that dehumanizes someone, anything that oppresses someone, anything that isolates people, he's always, in every narrative, he's always addressing it so that the oppressed one is is healed and, and free. This is a big theme throughout the whole of the, in the New Testament. Everywhere Jesus goes, whether it's a physical ailment, a, whether it's psychological, whether it's spiritual, emotional, it doesn't matter, we're all one anyway, but it's all, they're all tied in together. He's always walking in or walking toward places or meeting people and setting them free. So the fact that this man is from Gerasenes, the fact that he's naked, he's mad, he's out of his mind, he's completely oppressed, it's like Luke, the writer, is saying, you know, it doesn't get any worse than this, you know? It, it, it doesn't get any worse than this. There's, if, if Jesus can help this man, there's no one that Jesus can't help. There's no place that Jesus can't go. There's no power that Jesus doesn't have authority over. Yeah, see the spiritual principle coming through there now? That in all of these narratives, all of these stories about Jesus, all the healings, they're pointing to a, a, a bigger, rea a greater reality. Um, I, the reason, by the way, let's talk about this whole idea of possession and exorcism in these stories in the New Testament, because we do have a, several of them. There's a reason why, of course, possession and exorcism is harder for us to relate to, because in our day, in our day-to-day -day lives, the majority of us uh, don't consider such things in North America. Now, of course, I have to add, I know that there are people that, that, that have deliverance ministries, but and I'm not, um, I don't want to diminish that in any way, but, but I, I do want to say that generally speaking, for the majority of us, we tend not to attribute uh, people's sickness to, to demons, right? However, that was not the case 2,000 years ago in Jesus' time. Historical context is really important when you're reading the scripture, historical context. You need to know the context. In Jesus' time, the world framed life's difficulties differently than we do today. So in Jesus' day, sickness was either from God or demons. That's your choice. There's no germs back then, right? There's no DSM-5. You can't just whip out your manual and say schizophrenia. There's no such thing, right? Um, Miracles were from God or demons, anything supernatural, anything you couldn't explain. Uh, it was God or demons. It's actually, it was, it's a little bit like the Puritans of 300 years ago, right? 
Today, if we heard of a man running around a graveyard out of his mind naked, breaking his chains, we'd say, oh, this guy needs psychiatric help. And we'd give him a mental health diagnosis because our worldview is different than 2,000 years ago. However, not that long ago in our own history, we saw demons everywhere. Like I said, it was only 300 years ago that we had the Salem witch trials, right? Which means that not that long ago in history, we saw demons in anything or anyone we didn't understand or someone who viewed life differently than us, right? So it's not that far removed, not really. So this is a, this is a narrative about confrontation, the confrontation of evil power. It's an account of, it's, a, it's an account about God's power coming up against another, what we might call unholy power. So the presupposition is, is that not all power is good. And this has been our own personal experience. We know this to be true. Not all power is good, whether it's in individuals having power or whether it's companies or industries or nations or churches or educational systems or hospitals or schools. It doesn't matter, any system, right? Families, um, some institutions, families have used power for good, holy purposes, as in it leads to healing, it leads to freeing people, it brings out the best in people, or unholy, meaning it damages people and it wounds people. If something damages someone or wounds someone or holds someone back or oppresses someone, that's not good, that's not a the good a good use of power. That's not from God. Right? That's people and their egos or cruelty or whatever, but it's certainly not of God. So power can be used in many different ways for good or not. So in this account this account with Jesus and this possessed man it actually speaks about realities that are quite close to home, but often not considered. And it's the idea of coming up against something much bigger than yourself. It's the idea of um, coming up against something that's quite unmanageable. Or it's the idea of being held captive to the wrong kind of power. Anybody who's been in an abusive relationship completely understands this idea of being held captive to the wrong kind of power. Anyone who's gone through any kind of abuse understands this. Anyone who has struggled with addiction, alcohol, drugs, codependency, it doesn't matter what it is, um, they know, they understand what it, what it means to be held captive to the wrong kind of power, because they're not free, right? They're just not free. Walter Wink has written extensively, he's a theologian, and Walter Wink has written extensively about powers and its, its misuse, the misuse of power. And he said, I'll, I'll give you a quote here. 
All human beings live under domination systems. And Walter Wink calls them principalities and powers that be. And he says these are the structural and ideological institutions that manipulate our minds and our lives and our activities and reduce our freedom. It's like, oh, what do you mean, Walter? Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, you know, let's take an example. Let's take something simple. Like, you know the, um, the ads you see on the TV or you hear on the radio? Why do people want specific kinds of clothing? Why is a particular label more valuable than another? Why, why for example, would some people dress with free people clothing and not be seen dead in target clothing. Why? Why would that be? Well, it's the power of advertising, right? The power of advertising has worked. In some way or another, we've fallen for the idea, fallen for the lie, really, that this makes me more valuable. This particular brand, or these particular clothes, this particular car, this makes me more valuable, more special, cool. We're more connected. It gives me something that I don't have. That's a lot of power, isn't it? When you think about it. The media is wielding a lot of power over countless people. Take, for example, another power, sports. Sports has captured the hearts and minds of millions and millions and millions of people. And for some people, it's, it's a reason to live. And it takes top place in its first priority. It has its own power. In this text, Jesus names the power legion, right? And he exposes it. But there's many, many different kinds of power. Money, of course, is a common one. Money is a powerful energy because... Whether you spend your life worrying that you don't have enough or spend your life accumulating to have more, either way, you can lose your life and lose yourself and forget what's important because money's taken over. You see how power works? It wants to uh, take our identity, whatever, it would, whatever power source it is. A lot of time and energy can be put into worrying about money or planning how to make more of it. And if we go too far, we can lose ourselves, right? We can forget who we are and what's important. And there's so many other powers. There's, uh, there's a lot of power in politics, in science, in the church, in institutions of all kinds, uh, Many of, many of you, I'm sure, have experienced the power of insurance companies. Yeah. There's a lot of power there, isn't there? Maybe we will let you have this particular test. Maybe we won't. Let's talk about it. That's power. And then there's the whole realm of the dark powers of, of psychology. I mean, who hasn't experienced the power of criticism? Some people were criticized so much as children 
Now, they're never, ever really set free when they grow up to be adults. They're still carrying the negative, uh, critical voice of the parent or the guardian who was never satisfied. That's powerful. Or the, or the power of judgment. It can be quite debilitating, can it? If you're always judged and you're never quite doing it right and you're always put down. Who hasn't been on the receiving end of somebody else's anger? There's another powerful thing. What a diminishing, what a diminishing experience that is to be on the, on the other end of someone's anger. Or like I said, maybe you've had a boss who's a bully. Yeah. Or maybe you're the one who's consumed with anger. And you're realizing, yeah, I guess I have been angry a long time. And it's not good either, because it's kind of taken over. All of these things, they're all demonic in a sense. In the sense that we lose ourselves. We've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten what's important. Just like the man who lived in the tombs. Now, again, that's an extreme example. But he had lost his true self. He had lost his identity. Remember Jesus said to him, what's your name? He couldn't answer. It's like, I don't know who I am. I can't, I don't know who I am. I have no idea who I am. I mean, I think, isn't that a big part of our, of our spiritual and emotional lives is to know who we are and why we're here? And can't we forget quite easily who we are and what's important because we have so many other voices telling us things that aren't true? I think that, that one of the things about this passage is, is that Jesus is demonstrating as he comes up against these powers, of course, cast them out and they're all destroyed. And the man ends up healed. That I think the passage is demonstrating that whatever powers we come up against in our life, Whatever threatens to hold us captive, and we're all going to have different things because our experiences are different, and we're all different people, and we have different personalities, so we'll all have different strengths and weaknesses. But whatever chains us or holds us down, the narrative is saying, God's healing power breaks the chains and sets you free so that you in turn can free others. It's like, yeah, okay. So it's almost like, can you identify what holds you captive? Yeah, I think I can. What's, what holds you captive? Well, think about it. It could be grief. It could be loneliness, lack of purpose. It could be frustration. It could be resentment. It could be unforgiving. What holds you captive? Maybe it's not one thing. Maybe there's a few things. That's where God's healing power will be released. It's interesting that at the end of this story in verse 38, this man, this healed man, he says to the feet of Jesus. Now, that's a little phrase that we often, uh, we can read that and not think about that. But to sit at the feet of Jesus in those days meant that you're in the student position. So you're a, you're a disciple, you're a student, you want to learn. So there the story ends, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus and he asks Jesus, he says to Jesus, let me come with you. Let me come with you. Let me follow you. And Jesus says, no, 
No, you go home and you declare what God has done for you. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? It's like, no, no, I'm not going to take you with me. I don't want to take you out of your situation. What I want to do is I want to use you exactly where you are. Now that is a profound spiritual lesson. Because so often we want to be removed from whatever it is we think. This place is, uh, God, get me out of here. Just get me out of here. And sometimes there's a lag time, right, between us wanting to make that change. <laughs> I mean, we want our changes done yesterday. And here Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm not going to take you out. I'm not going to take you out of your situation. I'm using you exactly where you are so that you can bring freedom to others. So he says to the man, no, stay where you are and you go tell people about what God's done for you. And, you know, implicit within that is uh, pass on the good news, will you? Stay here and let people know that life can be different and that God frees and that God heals. So Jesus is saying, you stay in this place. You stay in this place. And then another fascinating thing is, is that the village people at the end of the story, they're seized with fear. They've witnessed all of this. They've heard about all of this. They've heard, they know that this guy was running around in the tombs, chained, breaks his chains, he's naked, he's out of his mind, he's mad. Now he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's a student. He wants to follow. And they're thinking, they heard about the pigs. That would freak anyone out, right? They heard about the pigs. I was like, oh, they're seized with fear. Please leave, they say. Please leave. What a strange phenomena. It's like, what about the healing? No, 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 no. Just go. But there's some good news here. No, no, no. It's almost like that strange phenomena that people get used to captivity. They get used to captivity. They get used to being oppressed. And they can choose it over freedom. It's like, well, wouldn't you want, don't you want to get freed up? No, no, please, just go. Would you just go? We're just not ready for this kind of change. This is too scary. It's too overwhelming. Could you just, Jesus, could you just please leave? I don't want to change. It may not be perfect, but at least I'm familiar with this. Yeah, that happens all the time, doesn't it? That's a very, very common thing. This kind of power's too scary. It's too different. Please go away. Don't you want to be free? No, I'm not ready for this. I wonder if that's what's happening here. Don't disrupt our lives, Jesus. We're not happy, but at least we're familiar with our misery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like there's power in the name of Jesus. Meaning, and that's not a phrase, by the way, the name of Jesus. It means uh, we get to tap into this power to help us. We get to tap into this power. When Jesus says, come follow me, it's like we, you get... Whatever's his is yours. We get to tap into this. And he comes against anything that would threaten to overwhelm us. Like fear threatens to overwhelm us, right? Or grief. Or sometimes despair does. Or hopelessness. Or abuse. Or cruelty. Or depression. Or addiction. 
anything oppressive, anything oppressive that we can experience, this narrative is, is saying it's not too difficult for God. And it may not be something that you're personally experiencing. Maybe uh, you want to relieve the oppression of others, right? I mean, maybe it's not about you. Maybe it's about somebody you care about. Maybe it's about somebody you love. Maybe it's about a group of people that you love. Maybe it's about a nation that you love, right? And you have a desire to do something and make a difference in the world, and it could be anything. You know, you see people living in villages that don't have any water, and you want to bring clean water to villages. How can you do that? Or you want to foster kids that don't have a family. Or you want to teach underprivileged children. Or you want to help migrant children who are separated from their families, right? There's countless ways to help oppressed people, isn't there? Right? So maybe the oppression isn't about, for you personally, maybe you are working or striving or moving on behalf of someone else, right? Some of you are moving into new territory as in helping other people, like Jesus and the disciples. You deliberately are moving toward helping someone else. Yeah, well, again, that kind of suffering, if you're doing that kind of work, and if you're expending that kind of energy, I think that it's important to remember that it's not by your own power, and it's not by your own might, but it's by God's Spirit. In other words, we don't take on powers, whether they're bullies or oppressive energies or whatever, systems in our own strength, right? We don't take it on in our own strength. Why? Well, because we get tired and we get discouraged. Even the strongest get discouraged, right? Even the strongest get discouraged. We need something else, someone else. So if you feel called to change the world and make a difference, that's a wonderful thing. If you feel called to take light into darkness, that's a good thing. But yeah, you want to go in Jesus' name, which means you want to go in Christ's power, not just your own power. In other words, we're not alone. We're not alone. We're partnered with someone far bigger than ourselves. And because, and because of that, the things that threaten to oppress us or anyone else don't get the last word. They don't get the last word. Yeah. Greater is the one who lives in us than the one who lives in the world. Yeah, it's that whole idea of, um, well, I might not be able to do it by myself, and I might feel weak at times, but I walk with one who doesn't get tired, who doesn't get weak, and has all power. Well, thank you for joining me. You've been listening to Celtic Preacher, and we've been looking at how Jesus uses power to bring good and healing to us and the world around us. Join with me again next week for another episode.